0: If you have your Bibles uh, with you, take them and turn to the book of Second Thessalonians. It's near the back of your Bible, and we have got Bibles under the seats if, if uh, you didn't bring one when you came this morning. I uh, often get my Sunday clothes ready on Saturday night. It's just a habit that I do so that when I wake up in the morning, I, I'm ready to go. And so I got my clothes ready last night and hung them all up, and uh, here I am. And uh, just to show you the kind of memory that some parishioners have, um, somebody came up to me after the first service with a picture on their phone. And said, Paul, it's good to see you're frugal. You were wearing that shirt 16 years ago. (laughs) 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 And uh, I sure was, they (laughs) had the picture. But um, it still looks good. After 16 years, um, <laughs> we are watched. Um, we're in the book of Second Thessalonians. We're just going you know, to uh, we're be it for a little while as a church, and so if you're visiting, you just got to sort of pick up where we are. But uh, hopefully, I can give you a little bit of a sense of where we are, so that uh, today um, has some context. But I, I'll start reading at verse five. And uh, we'll go to the end of verse 10. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who don't know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. Paul is dealing with a church which is not unlike churches through the last thousands of years, and even today, where there was some certainty about the coming of Christ, about the end times. Uh, Not only was there uncertainty back then and questions that people have, there is uncertainty today about the coming of the Lord. Some are worried about it. Some wonder, well, has that day already come? Some wonder, will that day ever come? Is our hope in vain? Uh, Sometimes we have those that bring conflicting reports, saying, "Well, the Lord is coming on a certain day. You need to sell everything you have and climb to this mountaintop and uh, wait for the Lord to come back." And so Paul is in the midst of this pastoral letter. He's addressing a number of these issues, and uh, in chapter one of Second Thessalonians, he is really ca- dealing with the 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 what will happen when that day takes place, uh, judgment. Um, The what of that day as well. And then when we get to chapter 2, we'll have a little bit more to say about the timing of that day. Although we can't be specific as to the hour and the the day and the month, we can say that the day of the Lord will not come until certain things take place. And so Paul unfolds those to us a little bit uh, when we get into chapter 2. But I think one of the things that we have been settling in for a couple of days, or a couple of weeks here in the church is, what will happen on the day when Jesus Christ comes again? It's called the coming of the Lord. It's called the appearing of the Lord. Uh, But Paul uses the word here. He says, it's the revelation of the Lord. At the revelation of the Lord, when Jesus Christ is revealed on the, as he comes down and he's revealed, he's undisclosed, so to speak. The, the, The veil on him is removed. What will happen on that day? And the significant event that will happen on that day, and it's recorded in just a number of different places in the New Testament, is judgment. That when the Lord returns, it will be a day of judgment. It's called the great day of the Lord. And so that's why Paul brings up this notion that God is just. And he will, on that day of judgment, two things will happen. Those are two broad general categories, but two things will happen. It will be a day of judgment on which he will repay those who have afflicted the people of God. And we looked at that last week in, in a little bit of detail and that there will be a time when those will, who don't know the Lord, who don't obey the gospel of the Lord, will be sent to eternal destruction. It will be a horrible day. It will be a, a terrible day, but that's part of the justice of God and, and the just character of God. But there's a flip side to that. And that's what I, we're going to look at today. Paul mentions it today. He will also grant relief. Relief to those who have obeyed the gospel, to those who have believed, to those who have trusted in Christ, to those who have been afflicted because of their faith and because of the testimony of Jesus. So one coin, two sides of the same coin, the coin of judgment, but the two sides of that are relief and repayment, Uh, the judgment of God, which comes on that final day. And so, as I say, that will take place on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven and it's going to be a significant day. And so we just quickly look at a couple things as it relates to that day. The first thing is just a general day of relief. He says that back in verse 7 there that when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who don't know the Lord and those who don't obey the gospel of Jesus um uh, oh, I missed it there. Oh, in verse six, since God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted. So this just broad category, first and all, of to grant relief or to provide rest for. This is the positive side of that day of judgment. Rest from the affliction that we face, rest from the tribulation that we experience, rest from the trials and the troubles that we think of. I said a couple of weeks ago that that word relief is a word that's uh, described in, in, in a lot of ways. It's, it's a, a word that is used to describe the re- removal of a burden or the relief of tension uh, some of you are familiar with longbows, and longbows are big bows, obviously, and they're strung with a, with a string, and when they're strung, it, there's an incredible tension on that string so that when you draw the string, you can shoot the arrow. Well, this word is used to um, refer to the unstringing of that bow, the relief that comes when that tension is released and the string is removed and it's put at rest, and so this is part of the image that Paul is talking about, is when Christ comes back, we will be relieved, The tension will be released. We will be put at rest. It's an incredible reality that is coming our way. I was trying to think of this in in terms of this way. Some of you are or have or will suffer extreme pain. Some maybe for a short period of time, some for a longer period of time, maybe some for the rest of your life. And if you've ever experienced extreme pain, it is exhausting you, you, you can't find rest anyway, and all you want is relief. You want relief from that pain. You want release from that pain. You want to be able to have a good night's sleep. You want to get through a day without any kind of pain. Your longing is for release. Well, we take that kind of um, understanding and anticipation and put it into the spiritual realm. There's There's times when we face incredible pressure for being children of God. We face the constraints of, of, of trusting in Jesus and the testimony that we've put in Christ, we feel the ridicule that comes from being in a certain work setting or maybe being in a neighborhood or maybe being a family where you're the only Christian or one of two Christians and it's exhausting and it's tiring and it's painful and you work through the threats of maybe losing your job and how will you pay your mortgage or how will you pay the rent? In other countries of the world, some are actually worried about losing their lives or being separated from their families or being cast in jail and there's this constant strain there's this constant tension of being um, in those situations and God says that when Christ comes back again when the judgment of the Lord happens at the revelation of Jesus Christ there will be relief granted it will be this incredible period or this time of rest that one will be ushered into for the rest of eternity the reward for being faithful to God and to being obedient to God it's a relief that will also come from a lot of other strains in our life. There's, a, there's a, a, a sense of strain that we have just walking in this world. This world is full of all kinds of temptations, all kinds of tests, all kinds of uh, appeals to us. And the Bible warns us again and again that we ought not to be in love with the world. We need to be careful not to be caught up in the cares of the world. We need to be careful not to be distracted by all the pleasures of the world that are around us. And there's a constant tension. How do I spend my money? How do I live with pleasure? How much do I eat? What do I buy with my money? Where do I go on holidays? There's these tensions that we try and reconcile with our faith with God. There's also the strains that we feel of the spiritual battle that we are in every day against the forces of evil. Some days we feel those more intensely than others, but Jesus reminds us of those and he says, listen, put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that you might be able to stand against the forces of darkness. There is a very real battle that we are in against invisible forces that we feel the pressure of that and the tension of that every single day of our lives. And what we long for is relief from that. We long to be free of that battle. And then there's the battles of the flesh. The Bible talks about those constantly, the temptations that we daily endure, the pressures that they bring to bear on our lives. Sometimes I have despaired of those struggles in my own life. You know, Paul talks about the fact that when he gets to the end of his life, he—he—he he, he, he's getting there, he says, I have fought the good fight. It's been this battle in his life. Um, Peter talks about abstain from the fleshly lust, which what? Wage war against your soul. Do you feel like you're in a war sometimes? Do you feel like you are, you are battling things from without and things from within? Well, on this wonderful day of judgment for those who know Christ, it will be a day of rest and relief. I've been thinking a lot about a particular verse in Daniel, which I read months ago. And I I just keep whirling it around in my head as Daniel has seen some incredibly difficult visions. And he's strained and he's tired and he's exhausted. The angel of the Lord comes and he speaks to Daniel and he says, listen, as for you, Daniel, go your way till the end. In other words, you've got a bit of life left to live. You got a bit of stuff to do yet. You've still got battles to face. You've still got struggles that you're going to have to work through. Go your way to the end. But then this incredible statement that he that he that the angel says to him, and then you will rest. And at the end of those days, you will rise and you will receive your reward. I don't know why I've focused on that for so much, but I think sometimes I'm just exhausted. I don't know about you, but I'm just tired. This world is a tiring place. It's a wonderful place, but it's a tiring place. And this promise that this angel gave to Daniel that one day you're gonna rest. And then after that, during that period of rest, at some point during that rest, Christ is going to come back and you're gonna rise and your body is going to be transformed and you're going to receive your reward and you're going to enter into everlasting life in the new heavens and the new earth. It's an incredible promise, but it's rooted in, 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 in the fact that this world is a tiring place. And so part of what will happen on this day of judgment is that God will come back and he will grant relief. Relief to those who have been faithful. Relief to those who have trusted. Relief to those who have battled. Relief to those who have been afflicted. What hope that provides. I had that song going on in my head. Hang on, help is on the way. And that's what I want to do. I want to hang on because I know Jesus is coming back. And so it will be day, when Jesus comes back, it will be day, a day of great Relief. Secondly, though, it'll be a day of incredible glory. Verse 10, he says there, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at amongst all who have believed. There will be incredible relief when we finally see Jesus Christ. There's, There's something about the Bible which requires imagination. It doesn't mean that we make stuff up. But there's so much in the Bible that is, that is beyond our, our ability to comprehend. It's beyond our senses. And so the Bible does require biblical imagination sometimes. It requires us to think about things that we haven't seen yet and think about things that are promised to us. And one of the things that is promised to us and one of the things that we haven't seen yet is the glory of Christ. And it says, On that day when Christ is revealed to us, he will be revealed to us to be glorified amongst his saints. This is a really big deal. It's hard to kind of describe it or to think about it, but there is a day coming when we will see Christ in all of his glory. There, there will be, we will see his power, we will see his might, we will see his grace, we will see his mercy, we will, we will see him in all of that perfection. We will see him face to face, as the Bible says. It's hard to describe that kind of reality. When Christ was on earth, he was the image of the invisible God. He was veiled in flesh, as the song writer says about it. But when Christ returns, that veil will be removed. It will be lifted, and we will see Christ in all his glory. John tries to describe this a little bit. He, he, he sees a vision of Christ in heaven right now. And as he describes what he sees, he, he says he, he heard, hears a voice and he turns to see the voice and what was speaking. And on turning, he saw one in the midst of lampstands clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in all its strength. That's John describing a vision of the glory of Christ. When Christ comes back, we will see him in all his glory and his might. In Isaiah chapter 6, uh, Isaiah has a vision of the glory of Christ on his throne and he is so slaughtered by it, he is so set back by it that he falls on his face as though dead. Jesus, when he was with his disciples, one day went up on a mountain and as they're going up to the top of the mountain, something happened to Christ. And for a moment, God, re- God, God removed the veil of his flesh. And it says, as they looked on Jesus, he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. The glory of God, for a brief moment, was exposed to his disciples, and they were left dumbfounded, they were left... Um, um, not knowing what to do, they were so taken back by the revelation of Christ's glory. This is a day, this day when Christ is revealed unlike any other day that we will ever experience. It's a day when we will see our God and Savior face to face with nothing hidden, nothing behind a veil, There'll be no question about his deity, no question about his glory, no question about the wonder of his human nature, its dignity, its perfection. And we will exclaim like the queen of Sheba exclaimed when she left Solomon. She said on her way, it was true the report that I heard of you and of your power and of your wisdom, but the half was not told of me. When we see Christ, it will blow our minds. It will explode our hearts. It will fill our souls to overflowing and we will be mesmerized as we look on the glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it says that he's coming to be glorified in his saints That's to be glorified in us, to be glorified in his people, to be glorified in his called ones. Not only will we see the glory of Christ in Christ himself and in his deity and in his humanity and his full perfection, but there will be something that will take place amongst the people of God. Those that are raised from the dead and we who are alive, we will be transformed and the glory of God that he meant for us is those made in his image will all of a sudden be completed and will be fulfilled and will shine forth from us. When Christ comes back, our salvation will be complete and we will be made perfect in body and soul. It's this amazing reality glorified in his saints. And just a, a couple words about saints. Saints are not Reserved a, a title that's reserved for some dead people that somehow we look back on their lives and we calculate them and say, well, they did a lot of really, really good things and, and they were used by God in a mighty way and so we will give them the designation of saint. That is not how the Bible describes saints. A saint is anyone who has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Anyone who has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, they are a saint. So if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are a saint. Hard to imagine sometimes, isn't it? But we are saints, that's what the the Bible calls us. And a saint is a a holy one, it's a called out one, it's a separate one, it's one that is called out to God and we are the called out people. And so when it says that Christ is coming back to be glorified in the saints, it means he's coming back to be glorified amongst those who believe or amongst the church. It's this wonderful reality that that, that God will do in us in a twinkling of an eye, this incredible work of full and final transformation. I think the hard part in our lives right now is Paul will write to various churches. He'll write to the church of Rome and he'll say to those of you who have been saved by God and saved by the grace of God, saints in Rome, or he will write to the church in Ephesus and he will say to the saints in Ephesus or to uh, Corinthians, he will talk about the Corinthian believers who are saints in Corinth. That says something about how you and I are to live in the world as we wait for the revelation of Christ. We are God's holy ones in the places that we find ourselves, in the jobs that we, that we undertake each day, in the neighborhoods that we live, in the homes that we are part of where maybe not everyone knows the Lord or where they do, but we are to live as those that are called out. We are to live as those that are different. We are to live as those that are transformed and changed by Jesus Christ. We are holy ones. It's this incredible calling that we have as Christians. You cannot be a Christian and not be a saint. But the wonderful reality is that when Christ comes back, what God calls us now will be ours in full reality. And we will be glorified in Christ. The glory of Christ will be our glory. We will share his glory. The application of our salvation will be full and complete. As, uh, as Andrew read from Uh, The book of Corinthians, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we're all going to carry on as we are. No, what's it say? But we will all be changed. And it's not a change that is going to take place over the course of eternity. It says that we are going to be changed in a twinkling of an eye. I can't imagine what that is going to be like when, when, when this imperfect body, this imperfect soul is all of a sudden at the revelation of Christ. It's going to be poof, and, and there's going to be a new Paul, like a, a perfect Paul, a complete Paul. And you will be perfect. Your body will be perfect. Your soul will be perfect. No more sin, no more fear, no more anxious, no more weakness, no more frailty, no more death. We will be changed. We will have the same glory as Christ. The trumpet, the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall all be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and the mortal must put on immortality. Paul says that if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. Loved ones, think about that, that not only will we, will we be blown away by the glory we see in Christ as the veil is pulled back from his person, from his deity, but we will be amazed at the glory that we see in ourselves and the others as we are now made into the image and the likeness of Christ. John says, beloved, we are God's children now and what we shall be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Can you fathom that? Like him in his perfection, like him in his glory, like him in his obedience, like him as God intended us to be when he created us. To this, he called you through our gospel that you might obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why you ought to study Christ. This is why we ought to be thinking about Christ. This is why we ought to be reading about Christ because one day we are gonna be like him. Don't you want to know who you're going to be like? In another verse, it says that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Can you imagine that? Like, can, can, do, you, do you know that? Like, Have you thought about that? I can't wrap my head around that. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of a glory of glory to another. Jesus says the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. You look outside right now isn't the sun glorious in its brightness and in its warmth? One day when that transformation is complete in us we will shine like the sun. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. We need to think about this more often, loved ones. It's our hope. It's our encouragement. It's our challenge. It's set before us when we're having a hard day, when we're struggling, when we're beat up, when we're afflicted, when we're tempted, when we're trialed, when we failed. We got to say, no, there's a day coming and I can't wait for it. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come. Can you imagine the glory of Christ being your glory? The glory will be seen in the resurrection of his saints, you and I, the people of God. Oh, that will be, the song says, glory for me, glory for me, glory for me. When by his grace, he at last I shall see. Oh, that will be glory for me. And then he says to be marveled at, in all who believe. This is a direct contrast to those that will be sent into eternal destruction because they did not obey the gospel of the Lord. On the flip side of that, those who have believed the gospel, have trusted in Christ, when Christ comes back, they will just be marveled, blown away. Can, can you imagine that day? It's hard for us. I think sometimes, I I don't know if we we reflect enough on our salvation. I think sometimes we take it for granted what it means for us to have been delivered from our sin, to be forgiven of our sin, to have the punishment of our sin paid, to have the curse of our sin borne, to have the promise of eternal life as we read and to know that we will forever be with the Lord, I, I don't know if we, if we ever really understand the magnitude of what we have been saved from. Because when we begin to grasp what we have been saved from, we will begin to get a picture of who it is that has saved us. The degree to which you understand your salvation and your desperate condition before you Will be saved, will almost be the degree to which you will marvel at and be amazed at Christ, your Savior. I can't imagine that day when we see Jesus and we say, That's my Savior, that's my deliverer, that's my substitute. That's the one who bore God's wrath on my behalf. That's the one who has delivered me from darkness and set me in the kingdom of life. That's the one. I owe him my life. I see him finally. Sometimes we hear these stories and we watch them on TV or in various shows of people who have found themselves in absolutely desperate positions. Maybe they've been out hiking somewhere and they've been lost in in some terrible place and all hope for them is given up and they have been gone for a couple weeks and search and rescue gets their gear on and heads out and they find them at great risk to their lives or uh, boats out in the sea and I marvel sometimes at these guys in helicopters, these, these men and women that, that go into storms and get people whose boats are sinking, jump into the water and wrap their arms around them, tie them to a rope, pull them up. and We marvel at that and then you see these stories of these people and they gather around and they see their deliverer, and they're full of thanks and joy and praise and adoration. What will it be like when we see Jesus who saved us? Oh, it says to be amazed and be adored by those who have believed in him. Are you not looking for that day, loved ones? Are you not... I know we're looking forward. You know, I see Amber and Tyler and they're looking forward to the birth of their child. I know some of you are looking forward to the day that you get married. We got a couple that's getting married in seven or eight days. Some of you are looking forward to the day that you have kids. Some of you are looking forward to the day that you, you retire. And, and we put a lot of energy and focus into that day, but are we not looking for that day when Jesus Christ is revealed, that day that is greater than any day that we will ever experience? The revelation of Jesus Christ, when our salvation will be complete, when our Savior will be revealed and we'll amazed at his sight. Oh, what a day that will be when my Jesus... I shall see when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. What a day, glorious day, that will be. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder this morning, and there are reminders everywhere in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament of this coming day of the Lord. Father, it is going to be a day of incredible significance for humankind, because on that day our eternal destiny will be sealed. For those who have not known you and those who have not obeyed the gospel, your word tells us they will be sent to eternal ruin but for those who have believed in the testimony of the gospel and have trusted in Jesus, they will be glorified and spend eternity with you. Father, I pray for those of us who have believed that you will do something in us that will make us look forward to that day with greater anticipation. And for those who have yet to find you as their Lord and Savior, who have yet to obey the gospel, who have yet to believe the gospel, Father, would you work in their hearts? Would you give them faith? Father, would you, would you show them your love and your grace and your mercy so that maybe even as they fall asleep tonight, they might be among those of us who will marvel at your return? Thank you for the hope of the scripture.